Well, if you brought your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to turn with me, please, to two places. I want you to go with me, please, to Romans chapter 1. And also, if you will, look up 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Romans chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to be looking up quite a bit of Scripture. I'm going to be shooting up quite a bit of Scripture on the screen. If you're taking notes, just go ahead and write those references down. You can study them out later. We have been talking about the subject of righteousness. And I truly believe that righteousness is going to be a major theme, a major word that God is going to deal with His people about in 2012. Because righteousness is the foundation of everything. An understanding of righteousness. Let me say it this way. You will never lead a successful Christian life without an understanding of righteousness can't happen. And so we started studying the subject of righteousness a few weeks ago, and we're going to look at it again today. Let's look at verse 16 of Romans chapter 1. Paul is speaking, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The word gospel, as many of you already know, the word gospel means good news. I am not ashamed of the good news of Christ. And when you see the word Christ, particularly in Paul's writings, when you see the word Christ, it can be referring to the person of Jesus. It can also be refer, it can refer to the anointing of Jesus. The word Christ simply means anointed. It is the Greek Word for the Hebrew word Messiah. Jesus is the anointed. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. But that word Christ can also refer to the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so you need to, to, to look at the context and, and, and it'll either refer to Jesus as a person or it will refer to the anointing of Jesus or both. And I am convinced in this particular instance it is referring to both. So he says here in verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the good news of Jesus, and I am not ashamed of the good news of the anointing. For it is the power of God. We, when we had our Christmas party on the 18th, of course, there were a lot of preachers here. We had Calvario here, and we had uh, First Baptist here, and we had the pastor from Bible Baptist, and we, we just had several preachers here. And at the end, when everybody was, you know, the party was over, and all the preachers seemed to congregate at the back, I'm not sure why. But Brother Baltimore, who pastors Calvario, he asked the question, he said, he said, how would you define the power of God? And he just kind of threw it out there as a question. Then he asked me, he said, Kenneth, how would you define the power of God? And I quoted this verse of Scripture. The gospel is the power of God. That's what Paul is saying here. He said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel or the good news of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. 
Now, the word salvation certainly can refer to the new birth, can refer to being born again. But when you, when you look at this word in the Greek, the word salvation refers to complete, total deliverance in every area of life. I want you to realize God not only wants you born again so you can go to heaven, He wants you delivered in every area of life, spirit, soul, body, socially, financially. He wants you free in every area of life. And that's what this word is referring to here. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. I like to use the word deliverance. Because a lot of times we can get religious about the word salvation. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto deliverance. Look at verse 17. Why is the gospel the power of God? He gives you the reason in verse 17. For therein, where? In the gospel. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And I want to say to you this morning that you will never walk in the power of God beyond your understanding of the righteousness of God. The understanding of the righteousness of God is a key to having God's power manifest in their life. And I think it goes without saying that men, whether you're talking about men that are born again, men that are not born again, men in general, and men and women, mankind is hungry for power. They seek power. They desire power. The thing that got me involved in the things of God when I was a 14, 15 year old kid was I was hungry for power. I wanted to know what power was. I wanted to, I knew just somehow, and this had to be God working in me. I knew there was power out there somewhere. Power to have a successful life. Power to have control over negative situations that arose in life. I I just somehow as a 14, 15 year old kid, I knew that. And just to make a long story short, I found out that that power is in the Word of God. It's in the Scriptures. It's in God's Word. But... In order to walk in that power, there has to be an understanding of righteousness. So the the, the hunger that men have for power, in reality, is a hunger for righteousness. Though they may not even know it. Because Jesus said, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you want to write that down, it's Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. The gospel is the power of God because it is a revelation of righteousness. The gospel is the power of God because it is a revelation of righteousness. Now we have defined righteousness this way. Righteousness is the ability to stand in the presence of a holy God without guilt, without fear, and without condemnation. And as we proceed in this study, you'll find out that righteousness is also very, very closely associated with the presence of God. The word righteousness itself is an old English word, and it means 
to be in right standing with. So the righteousness of God would be to be in right standing with God. I like to say it this way. To be righteous before God means that you come into divine order or that you come into alignment with God. That would be a good way to define it. To be righteous is to come into alignment, to come into divine order with God. And it's important that you understand that that we are righteous not because of the way we act or the way we don't act. We are righteous because of the sacrifice of Jesus. The righteousness of God is a free gift. Now why does it ha- why are we righteous because of the sacrifice of Jesus? Because when Jesus hung on that cross, he absorbed the sin of the whole world and that included yours and that included mine. That's why when Jesus was hanging on the cross or talking about the cross in John 3:14, he referred to himself as a serpent the very emblem of Satan himself. He referred to him as a snake in John 3.14. He says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent or the snake in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Why is that? Because there was a point when Jesus was hanging on that cross where He was made to be sin and He absorbed the sin of the whole world into His Spirit. And that's why when Jesus hung on that cross... In Matthew 27, 46, says in about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why did God forsake him? Because there was a moment when he was hanging on that cross, when he was made to be sin, and God the Father had to turn his back. And for the first time in all of eternity, the relationship between the Father and the Son was broken. Jesus cried out and made that statement. And years later, the Apostle Peter would write in 1 Peter 2.24 and say, "...who his own self bear our sins." in His own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, we're going to turn over and look at this in just a moment, but I want to go ahead and give it to you here. 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Apostle Paul wrote and said this, talking about God, said, For God hath made Him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And when you receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you are made the righteousness of God. It is a free gift. In Romans 5.17 says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, talking about Adam, the reason we're in the mess we're in is because of Adam. You can blame other people. You can blame Obama. (laughs) Blame whoever you want to blame. But we're in the mess we're in because of Adam. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Christ Jesus. Please take note. He said the gift of righteousness. Righteousness is a free gift. Becoming rightly related to God is a free gift. 
And when you begin to understand that, you are opening the door to walk in the gospel, which is the power of God. Now, what is the gospel? Well, let's look at this for a moment. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, or as the Greek text says, a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ, and has given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. I want you to realize we've been reconciled to God. Verse 19, To wit or to know, Take a look at this. To wit or to know that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us, look at it, the word of reconciliation. That is the gospel. The gospel is the word of reconciliation. He says, now then, we are ambassadors. Now, he's talking about being in the ministry. Somebody tell me what an ambassador is. Representative. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto us, has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. That's the gospel. Now then, we are ambassadors. Those of us that are in the ministries, we're ministry, we're God's representative. We are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech or beg you. You ever get a mental picture of God begging anybody anything? As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. That's interesting, isn't it? You be reconciled to God. Hey, He's not writing this to the world. He's writing this to the church. In other words, what Paul is saying is, Look, I'm called into the ministry with a message. And the message is very simple. God's not mad at you. God's not upset with you. God's not angry with you. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, every human being has been reconciled to God. Now you reconcile yourself to Him. And again, that's not to the world, that's to the church. We're to be reconciled to God. We're to reconcile ourselves to God. Well, how do you reconcile yourself to God? Let me ask you a question. Anybody in here born again? Anybody in here saved at all? Okay. How did you do that? That you accepted Jesus? Okay. What was the process? Let's go back over to the book of Romans here for a minute. Romans chapter 10. 
When you start studying righteousness, you're going to spend a lot of time in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Let's start reading with verse 6. It says, But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Righteousness speaks. Say not in your heart, Who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above? Or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ from the dead? But what saith it? What does righteousness say? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Now he's about to tell you what the word of faith is. The word of faith is the gospel, is the word of reconciliation. So he's about to tell you how to be reconciled to God. Verse 9, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, or confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and shall believe in your heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved, delivered, etc. Same Greek word as in Romans 1. Verse 10, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation or unto deliverance. Same Greek word. Now, <clears throat> I don't know what y'all's background is. We have a lot of visitors here. I don't know what y'all's background is. But I want to tell you that if, you've ever, if, if you are born again, you're saved, you're a child of God. If you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior... You went through a process that followed what I just read. The key issue of becoming a child of God is to confess, believe in your heart, and confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And when you confess that with your mouth, you believe in your heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, and you confess with your mouth that He is Lord, it brings you into alignment with God. In other words, you become the righteousness of God. And I want to say to you this morning, if you've never done that, if you've never, if you have never believed in your heart and you've never confessed with your mouth before God, Jesus is Lord! I want to say to you that those are the three most important words in the English language. Because your eternal destiny is settled by those three words. Jesus is Lord. And I make you Lord over my life. Now, there's a lot of you that I'm sure in your background at some point you did that. I ask you to raise your hand if you were saved or born again a few minutes ago. And, but part of the problem is we've made a formula out of that. I can read, 
You know, uh, if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. With the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Yeah, I did that. Uh, yeah, I, I did. I, yeah, I did. I, well, for me personally, I, I did that when I was 14. Yeah, I did that in my bedroom by myself. I bowed beside my bed and I prayed according to Romans 10, 9 and 10, and I received Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. And you know what? It's stuck. I'm 55 and it's stuck. I did that. But the problem is we've made that a past tense formula. And we've used it many times simply as a means of bringing what we call lost people, unsaved people, whatever the case may be. We've used it as a means of bringing them into the kingdom, and it works. But God never intended this to be just a formula for the new birth. In fact, flip over a couple of doors to the right, if you will, to Colossians chapter 2. 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6 says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. Now let me ask you this. Let me read it again. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. How did you receive Him? You believed in your heart. You confessed with your mouth that He's Lord, right? Now, how you did it? As you have received, therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now, what verse 6 tells me is that Romans 10, 9 and 10, receiving Jesus as Lord is not just to be a one-time thing that gets me out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of, of light but that the Lordship of Jesus is to be a way of life. And what that simply means is you and I as Christians, I did it this morning on the first day of 2012. Jesus, I make you Lord over this day. You are Lord over my life. You are Lord over this day. You are Lord over my circumstances. You're Lord over negative situations that I don't know how to fix. I don't know how to make it right. But I make you Lord over it. And I confess your Lordship over my life, over this day, over this year. And when I make that confession, I am bringing myself into alignment with God as the righteousness of God. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. 
Now, you came into alignment with God through the Lordship of Jesus. You stay in alignment with God through the Lordship of Jesus. I want to encourage you. When you get out of bed in the morning, the minute your feet hit the floor, Jesus, I make you Lord over this day. I make you Lord over this situation that I've got to deal with today. I make you Lord over my job. That's a whole lot better than saying, oh my God, it's Monday. Isn't it better? Jesus, I make you Lord. Either that or, oh dear God, I partied too hard for New Year's. It's a whole lot better. Jesus, I make you Lord over this day. That's a whole lot better way to go. Well, to make someone Lord, you don't need to write this down, but let me give you this definition. A lot of times we throw the word Lord around and don't really consider what it means, but let me just share this definition. The Lord means the one who is supreme in authority, the owner, the controller, the one to whom you will give account in word and deed. I'll say that again. The one who is supreme in authority, owner, controller, the one to whom you will give an account in word and deed. And let me tell you something. As long as we are in this world, the way it's in, the, the condition that it's in right now, there are two lords that we have to deal with. One of them is Satan. Or let me just let me read this scripture to you. Matthew six ten. When you when you confess Jesus as Lord, basically what you're saying is what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer: Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, I make you Lord. Now, there is one Lord that we have to deal with, or that is Lord over the world. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. It's important that you understand that Satan is Lord over the world. Now, he's not Lord over the earth. He's Lord over the world. As you go through the Bible, you'll find that there are times when the word world and the word earth are not interchangeable. And this is one of those times. Satan is the God of this world, but Jesus is Lord of the earth. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Jesus is Lord over the earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Jesus is Lord over the earth, but Satan is the God of this world. And when you're talking about the world, you are talking especially about the Babylonian system of commerce that is over this world, that dominates this world. And Satan is the God of this world. That's why the Word says that the love of money, not money, but the love of money, is the root of all evil. And you don't have to have money to love it. I know people that love money that hadn't got a quarter. It's an attitude. And the God of this world rules this world through 
the love of money. But Jesus is Lord over the earth. Now, there will come a time when Jesus comes back to rule and reign, He will become the Lord of the world. Revelation eleven fifteen says, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. There will come a time when Jesus will be Lord over the world. But right now He's not. He's Lord over the earth. And if you want to know why bad things happen on this planet, they happen because Satan is the God of this world and men listen to him rather than listening to God. The reason this world is so screwed up, it's not God's fault. Are you listening? Yeah? Listening? Okay. It's also important that you understand, in dealing with two lords... There is Satan who is the God of this world. There is Jesus who is Lord of the earth. In dealing with two lords, it's important that you understand that when you and I step into eternity, we will reap the judgment of our Lord. I don't know if I put this in the screen or not. Yes, I did. Matthew 25, 41, Jesus made a very interesting statement. He said, Then shall He say, talking about Jesus, Then shall He say also to them on the left hand, Depart from Me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Did you know that it was never God's intention for one single human being to go to hell? Do you know that? Did you know that hell was not made for men? That's what Jesus said here. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. But now here's the problem. If a person steps into eternity with Satan being their their Lord, and let me tell you, man is not sovereign. And what that simply means is, like the old Bob, Bob Dylan song, you're going to serve somebody. If Jesus is not your Lord, guess who is? Okay? If a person steps into eternity without receiving Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they don't go to hell because of all the bad, ugly things they did. They go to hell because they serve the wrong Lord. And they reap the, they reap the judgment of their Lord. Are you listening? In fact... Let me share this with you. Turn with me to John, or excuse me, Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Everybody got it? Revelation chapter 20, you have what's, what's recorded here is the great white throne of judgment. Listen carefully. No Christian will stand before this judgment. This is a judgment of sinners. Okay? What we call the lost, the world, and so forth. But look at this. Verse 11. 
said, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Now this is not talking about just the physically dead. It's referring specifically to the spiritually dead. Those that never received Jesus. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Verse 12, please take note of that last word. They were judged according to their works, not according to their sins. Why? Because the sins have already been dealt with by the blood of Jesus, for Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. But now look. They will be judged according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, I don't know why, but from the time I was a little kid, I had this mental idea that somehow when we all stood up in judgment before God, that each and every one of us would stand before God and that that there would be this huge picture screen and that our whole life would be portrayed like a movie. And every ugly thing we ever said or did would be on this huge picture screen. And the whole world would get to sit back and eat popcorn and drink Coke and laugh just like they were at the movie. I don't know where I got that picture. But did you know that's not correct? Because he said you'll be judged not for your sins but for your works. You know what that judgment is for? Now again, this is not a judgment of Christians. This is a judgment of the world. But he said your works would be judged. In other words, what's going to happen when when those sinners stand before God? God is not going to reveal their sins. He's going to take the very best that they ever did. Their best works. Their best efforts. uh, All of the good things that they ever did in their life, they're going to stand before God. And all of those things are going to be revealed and portrayed but then all of those good things are going to be compared to Jesus. And you know what? Nobody will measure up. So what's the way out? I receive Jesus as my Lord and my Savior, and I reap His judgment, not based upon my works, but upon the gift of of His righteousness. Do you follow that? You see what I'm saying to you? So it's very important that we receive Jesus as our Lord and our Savior because we will reap the judgment of our Lord. It's important also that you understand that as a Christian, you need to walk in the Lordship of Jesus over your life, especially in relation to sin. Let me read this to you. John seventeen fourteen through 16. 
He said, I have given them thy word. Jesus is speaking. says, and the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. Now, he's praying for his disciples. I pray not that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. Let me tell you something. If you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are no longer of this world. That world system, you're not part of it anymore. You are part of a new kingdom. Say, well, what does that have to do with me? It's just very simple in the fact that when you miss it, when you sin, when you blow it, your sin is none of the devil's business. Did you know that? He's not your Lord. He's not your master. And when you sin, when you miss it, when you blow it, Run to Jesus with it. He's your Lord. He's your Master. And receive forgiveness and cleansing. And when the devil tries to come against you with the voice of condemnation, the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. And when he comes against you with that voice of condemnation, well, you remember what you did. You remember how you acted. Tell him to bug off. He's not your Lord. He's not your Master. Jesus is Lord. More importantly, Jesus is my Lord. Now turn with me to John chapter 8. John's Gospel chapter 8. Is this making sense? Somebody throw something at me, respond, do something, cry, scream, holler, do something. Does this make sense? Huh? Okay. I can tell what's going on. I can just see your brains. Y'all are listening. That's good. That's good. You ain't that bad. <laughs> oh. John chapter 8. We looked at this a few weeks ago. But I want to show this to you again. Bring this to your attention. John chapter 8 and verse 1. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning He came again into the temple, and all of the people came unto Him, and He sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto Him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto Him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. That's what you call busted. (laughs) But like I said to you a couple of weeks ago, uh, the problem that I have with this, my understanding is in order to, to commit the act of adultery, it takes two. Where's the guy? Sounds like a setup deal, doesn't it? Verse 4, They say unto him, Master... This woman was taken in adultery in the very act. (laughs) Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. In other words, here is a woman 
supposedly caught in the act, caught red-handed like we say, no way out, she is convicted by the law of Moses. The law of Moses said a woman caught in the act of adultery is to be stoned. She is to be destroyed. Now this is not, this is a situation where there, like if it was a case in a court of law is what lawyers would call a slam dunk. I mean, this woman is just busted. Now Moses in the law, verse 5, Moses commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. Now they're accusing the woman, now they're accusing him. And let me tell you that the voice of condemnation is the voice of the enemy. It's not the voice of God. Verse 6, they, thus they said, this they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Cindy got caught up with that verse here a while back and did a lot of serious study on trying to find out what he wrote. wrote. You know what? We don't know. <laughs> There's no pat answer. Verse 7, so when they continued asking him, he lifted up his Himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by conscience, by their own conscience. Now why were they convicted by their conscience? Because the same law that they were using to judge her, they had to judge themselves with the same law. And let me tell you something, if you try to live by the law, if you try by your own efforts and your own ability to keep the Ten Commandments, you'll never measure up. I don't care how hard you try. Verse 9, And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Now, I want you to get the picture of this. She has been embarrassed. She's been humiliated. She's been caught red-handed. The whole crowd knows what she's done and all that. But now here's Jesus looking her right in the face. Jesus said, He that is without sin cast the first stone. Hey, here's the guy who has the right to throw the rock. He's never missed it. He's never blown it. And she's looking at this prophet of God right in the face. And he says something, he asks her a couple of questions. Verse 10, When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? Now he's asking her these questions because he's trying to pull faith out of her. And at that moment, she could have responded and said, I don't know, I, dear God, I'm so guilty. I guess you can throw a rock at me, Jesus. I don't know. But look at her response. She said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. 
Here was a woman who was caught. Here was a woman who was busted. Here was a woman who broke the law. Here was a woman who had witnesses against her. But instead of yielding to the guilt and the condemnation of what she had done, she chose to make Jesus Lord over what she had done and received forgiveness. And let me tell you that as a believer, as a Christian... When you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, begin to judge yourself not by law, but by grace. 1 John 1, 9. John is writing to the church and he says, If we confess our sins, we confess our sins to Jesus. Jesus, I missed it. I blew it. I messed up. I make you Lord over that sin. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus, I make you Lord. Let me show you one other scripture and I'm done. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. It is the Lordship of of Jesus it is the lordship of Jesus that keeps us in alignment keeps us walking in righteousness before God 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 1 now concerning spiritual gifts brethren I would not have you ignorant You know that we were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols even as you were led. Look at verse 3. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now, there's a lot that we could go into on this third verse, but I just want to say this. What you say with your mouth creates a spiritual atmosphere. Your words determine spiritual presence. And I hope the Lord will let me get into this later. You're either feeding God. We don't think of feeding God, but we're going to get into that. We feed God with our words and confessions of faith. Or we feed the, feed the enemy with words of fear. Now... Our words create spiritual presence. When you confess Jesus as Lord, oops, sorry, didn't put it in there. When you confess Jesus as Lord, you come into alignment. His Lordship brings alignment. His name brings His presence. When you declare Jesus is Lord, it brings the Spirit of God on the scene. That confession brings His presence, brings His peace, brings His joy, brings His strength. Jesus, you are Lord. Your words determine spiritual presence. You ever get around somebody that every other word is a cuss word? And you just kind of, ugh. 
we got we got an account with Netflix and we get movies. And sometimes and it's all streaming. And sometimes we'll get on a movie, and it's one blankety blank blank word, blankety blank blankety blank blankety blank 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 word after another. And if after about two or three minutes of that, we shut that off. I don't want that in my house. I don't want that released into my house. I've been around situations like that, and you know, you listen to a little bit of that, you feel like you need to go bathe. Is that just me? No. Why? Because words create, release spiritual presence. And when you receive, confess Jesus as Lord, it releases the presence of God. We were in a we were in a ministry situation one time, trying to minister to a man and wife, and. You know what GD is. Well, she didn't say GD. But you'll know what I'm going to say when I say this. We were ministering to this couple, and she decided she was about two-thirds more spiritual than her husband, and she's trying to straighten him out. And so she said, Well, if you just read your deep Bible, and I, we just kind of <laughs> if I'd have said the word, y'all's toes would have just curled. And she said the word. You just read your deep battle. What was the problem? Her words released a very negative spiritual presence. Well, the confession of his lordship releases his peace his rest and his peace and when you're under times of pressure do you ever do you ever have a dream that was a nightmare and some ugly thing was trying to get you and you couldn't get the words out you couldn't say anything do you ever wonder why satan knows the power of your words and if you can ever, and I've had this happen, if you can ever just get the word Jesus out of your mouth, it'll stop it. I've had that happen in a dream. If you can get Jesus, even if you've got to choke it out, it'll release the presence of God. Change the whole situation. I want to ask everybody in here to bow your head. This is, this is I, I do this only at the leading of the Lord. I don't do this every service. I do it as I'm led of the Holy Ghost. This is the beginning of a new year. And the Lord has already told me that 2012 would be the year of new things. 2011 was a year of transition. 2012 is a year of new things. And this first day, the first day of 2012, this first day of the year of new things, I want to just lay it out as plain as I can. If you've never received Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you've never done what I was talking about earlier where you believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth and gave yourself to the Lord and said, Jesus, I make you Lord over my life. If you've never done that, I don't want to invite you Repentance is not an invitation. 
Repentance is a command. I command you to receive Him as Lord and Savior this morning. And if you've never done that, what I want to do is lead you in a prayer. I'm not going to call you down to the front. I understand the thinking process behind that of making a public profession of faith, and I understand that. And in a larger venue, we might do that. But truthfully, I, if you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'd rather you make a public profession out there on the street where people see your life changed. To me, that's what's important. Like I said to you earlier, I was born again in my bedroom by myself at about 12, 11, 12 o'clock at night. The important thing at this point is your commitment. If you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask you just to raise your hand if you've never done that. And you say, Kenneth, I want to do that. I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Would you lead me in a prayer? And ask you just to raise your hand. Okay? All right, thank you. Anybody else? All right. Now, Here's what I want to do. I want all of us to pray this prayer. And those of you that raised your hand, I want you to pray this, particularly if you're praying this for the first time. I want you to just mean it with all of your heart as I lead you in prayer. Are you ready? So repeat this after me. Oh God in heaven, I come before you. I confess unto you that I am a sinner. And I am undone. I've tried to control my life. I've tried to make things happen. There are so many things that I've tried to do that have blown up in my face. But I come before you now and I take my life with all of the mistakes and all of the failures and I come before you and I lay them at the cross of Jesus. And as I lay them at the foot of the cross, I lift my heart toward heaven and I say, Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. I believe you went to the cross for me. And I receive you right now as my Lord and my Savior. And I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And from this moment forward, anybody that wants to know, I'll gladly tell them that Jesus is my Lord. I am born again. I am a child of God. I am a believer. I am a Christian, and I thank you, Lord Jesus, for receiving me into your kingdom. I thank you that I am no longer of this world, but I am a child of God, and I thank you that heaven is now my home, and that I can have heaven on this earth as I walk in your word. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Those of you that raised your hand, welcome to the kingdom. I want to declare that you are 
the righteousness of God. And Cindy and I would be happy to visit with you after the service. We would be honored just to share with you and pray with you a little more if you would like. If you have any questions, we'll be happy to visit. I want to thank all of you for coming this morning. And I know all y'all came to, to for Samuel. You didn't come for me. I know. But I thank y'all for being... Yes, we do invite you to come again.